Welcome back to Women's Magazine, MutinyRadio.fm. Happy to be here today. So as we confront so much um, negativity, uh, anger, directed at um, you know various groups of people or individuals um, you know so much of it to me seems like a distraction um, and I don't mean a distraction in the sense of like oh don't pay attention to that that's not important it is important it's very important um, looking out for civil rights uh, civil liberties, um, accepting one another as neighbors. Uh, these are all of the utmost importance. Um, and yet we seem to have all of these clowns, these, these uh, scarecrows jumping up in front of us, right? Like, like Donald Trump or like that guy who was, gonna, who was invited to talk at UC Berkeley the other night who, um, you know, had been invited and then people said don't let him come here. He's full of hate. He's going to endanger students. Um, he's going to endanger um, undocumented students. Uh, it's just hate speech. A hate speech is not free speech. Threatening speech is not free speech. Um, you know, it, it, it's very twisted to start to have these villains pop up. Um, I think we really need to stay vigilant about what's happening behind the curtain, so to speak. All of these people that Donald Trump has nominated to the cabinet are folks who do not have the American people's best interest at heart. You have several folks. He said he's going to drain the swamp. He's got several folks who are uh, career um, people from Goldman Sachs, um, Wall Street, uh, various trading houses, fucking Rex Tillerson from ExxonMobil, who is named currently in a lawsuit against Exxon for participating in atrocities in Indonesia. Um, and he got in, he got confirmed. All these people just keep getting confirmed. Uh, Steve Mnuchin, uh, Goldman Sachs is nominated for the secretary of treasury. Um, Jeff Sessions funded by wall street, nominated for attorney general, despite a history of going against, um, civil rights and civil liberties. Uh, Gary Cohn has been nominated as the director of the National Economic Council. He's from Goldman Sachs. Uh, Tom Price, who actually was a, a, a doctor, um, has been named uh, Secretary of Health and Human Services. Um, a lot of funding from big drug companies. Um, wants to dismantle the Affordable Care Act, a.k.a. Obamacare. Um, Wilbur Ross nominated for the Secretary of Commerce from W.L. Ross and Co Company. Um, Andy Putzer, 
nominated for the Secretary of Labor, who is an an owner of Hardee's and Carl's Jr. and is staunchly against minimum wage for the Secretary of Labor. Oh, let's not, I can't even look at Steve Bannon. Uh, what a mess that guy is. And he is in a very powerful position right now. He's been not only the chief strategist uh, for the for the president, whispering in his ear, uh, but also has been named to the National Security Council. That's the kind of position that Kissinger was in. This is a dangerous situation, a dangerous person to have in there. And he was a Goldman Sachs guy, too, before he was some sort of <laughs> radical radio host, um, <laughs> which I say tongue-in-cheek, of course. Uh, what are all those pundits talking about? Um Oh, here's an interesting one. Secretary of Transportation, she already got confirmed. Um, Elaine Chow, who has been around for a long time now. Uh, she was the Secretary of Labor under um, George W. Bush and uh, for both terms. Uh, she was a director of the Peace Corps at one point uh, after... Um, she was the director of United Way for a long time. Uh, she's She's been with uh, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, and her husband is Mitch McConnell. Ugh. She's been confirmed. Um, and of course, right now, the battle is still underway against... Uh, nominee for Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos um, whose family owns uh, a <laughs> family profits from student loans <laughs> she's never gone to public school she's not a teacher um, she's a billionaire she's been uh, she and her husband have donated for like 47 million dollars over the past few years to try to um, gut private public education and move money over towards private vouchers uh, for, for to go to these private charter schools, which I'm not wholeheartedly against. I think you should have uh, options in your education, but I, I, I'll tell you right now, I used to work for a charter school on a substitute basis and, um, you know, everyone has to take tests and, uh, and I was asked at one point to uh, clean up the Scantron tests from the little kids so that, that they could, you know, actually scan them. And it was basically, uh, I was being asked to do something um, to alter the tests, essentially, um, which I found to be uh, rather disturbing. So, you know, it's all attached to federal funding.
somatic. That boy needs therapy. You're psychosomatic. That boy needs therapy. Lying down on the couch. Well, what does that mean? You're a nut. You're crazy in the coconut. What does that mean? That boy needs therapy. I'm gonna kill you. That boy needs therapy. Granny Gazoo, let's have a cheese. I wanna count three. That 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 that, that boy, boy needs therapy. He was white as a sheep. And he also made false teeth. <laughs> Trina. Hey, Ed. How are you doing this afternoon? Doing all right. Woo! Awesome. I am so happy to be here. It's a beautiful day. This is my favorite thing to do every week. And I'm super excited about the topic today because after our um, Immutables podcast last Sunday, and welcome everybody to the Immutables. I'm Trina Roderick, and I'm here with Ed Ant, who's running the board, the ones and twos. Hello. 
I didn't. I thought Pam just called it the board the ones and twos. Okay, here, here's the what? thing about every time that she calls it the ones and twos. What? The ones and twos are actually those right there. And I'm pointing to the, the record players. Well, I figured it had some sort of random reference, but I was listening to a song the other day. I don't right. remember what song it was. And the one of the, it wasn't a lyric. It might have been either a lyric or you know how sometimes they kind of chatter before this. But I think it was a lyric. Somebody blah 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 on the ones and twos. And I was like, oh, Pam yeah. knows what she's talking about. Yeah, yeah. Except like I said, the ones and twos are the LP players. Well, I mean, I'm not so I'm not too surprised that it's like a term from back when DJs were less technologically gifted. Technically, they were more technologically gifted because well, okay, nobody yeah. here literally uses the ones and twos. <laughs> no one. Well, it's Pam just the turntables. Yeah, yeah. It's just the turntables. That's the ones and twos. Because nobody has the albums anymore. Like, yeah, I had a hard right enough over time. There. Well, that's true. I had a hard enough time scrapping, putting together a CD. I, I couldn't. Like I, I'm actually kind of sad. Like the first time I put together an iTunes library was when. Anyway, now we are way off the top subject. So we're here today. I want to talk again about the duck face um, selfie photo because I got into again it again with, with bad selfies. It, uh, yeah. Well, you know, the more I think about it, the more that that photo is the perfect. Um, the perfect instigator for this conversation uh and the f the photograph is perfect in just so many ways Re that remind i can't me again what this conversation that we have yet to have is well okay um so like i said i got into it with steven torres and i want to talk about the conversation in several different respects um and and first, I want to start out because it, it, the, the it sort of devolved into us not quite hating each other. I, I wouldn't say hate, but it it, it got as conversations online. You're and not going to make babies with him, is that what you're trying to say? Well, I mean, it was never that. It was just that it people have a tendency to get real ugly really really fast. I mean, that's just the way um, we communicate. And, well, I shouldn't say that's just the way we communicate. That's a function of communicating with people that you never think you're going to see again, and it doesn't. You don't really have enough contact with them for the, the these sort of slight social snubs to make a difference. So, when I was an attorney, for example, I noticed that when I worked independency, which was a, a job that was regular courtroom work assigned to a regular courtroom with the same judge and the same other attorneys in the courtroom, the same DA every day. Um, there was considerably more kindness and respect. I mean, we still argued. We still held our positions and held our ground and represented our clients. I mean, just because we were kind to each other off the record doesn't mean that we went on the record and, um, you know. Were friendly? You know. That didn't impact our job in any way. In fact, it made it, you know, easier and more pleasant, which is why you do it, you know, just because. And the thing is, 
with civil litigation is considerably different because you have one client and in a case you have a, like 40 clients like so let's say for example you're a defense attorney and you're juggling 40 clients you're maybe going to see those attorneys on the other side of those cases again maybe not i mean some of the bigger more consistent firms you see cons- frequently and some you don't and so in those situations, when you're up against an attorney and a firm you think you're never going to see again, I noticed that um, the attorneys tended generally to be nastier and get nastier quick, more quickly because there's not quite the same sort of Because there's no relationship to right. grab at. Well, and there's no, it's, there's not only no relationship to grab at, but you're never going to see each other again. So people, it's easier to get ugly. Right. Yeah. So I, 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 it's hard for me not to think that that's sort of what's happening online. I mean, these are people that you don't have to see face to face. These are conversations you're not having face to face. And so it's easy to get ugly fast. What do you think? Yeah, it's a lot easier to be detached when you don't have to be in front of somebody to tell them something. Yeah. But it's more than just detached. I feel like it's it's the willingness to be um, you well, know, harsh that, in a way you might that's otherwise. That's the thing. If you're detached from what you're saying, mm-hmm. you can be more malice without thinking about it. It's just yeah. how it works. Yeah. Right. Not that uh, being detached is always a bad thing. It's just, you know, it's part of it. Yeah, it's just different, and 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 I guess that's sort of how I think about, um, you know, the way people speak to each other on the internet now, um, and and I I feel really uh, compelled to continue to talk about the the self face or the uh, duck face selfie and hate in particular, because it's a really, really important concept to understand um, moving forward into the 21st century. Um, I feel like we, we need to absolutely get back, get away from the 1950s um, black and white thinking, whereby there was a, a good, you know, good guy that dressed in white and was constant perfection and in contrast to that like i'm thinking of the 1950s westerns you have the bad guy dressed in black and is constantly um the bad guy and those those sort of this is that thinking about people is just too simplistic given the fact that we now interact globally with each other through the internet it's it we need to understand people with greater complexity and i i remember for example like the movies started to demonstrate more complexity um sort uh and definitely like I remember the first time I saw Reservoir Dogs, for example, like the Quentin Tarantino films of the early '90s. Like I, for me, that was the big impact of of Reservoir Dogs was the fact that all of a sudden we weren't we were looking at the bad guy not with not with um, animosity, but we were sort of, it was this new sort of, not necessarily sympathetic approach, but behind the scenes approach that was necessarily um, humanizing because, you know, people are people. So behind the scenes, the guy, you know, the bad guys are going to argue amongst each other. Um, the bad guys are going to, you know, the, the people are people. You know, we only 
think of people as good and bad in relation to ourselves or our group or our country or our set that we are identifying with at that moment in time. Um, but the people on the other side are people too, right? But it's, but we'll, let's get into that. So, so I broke down the reasons um, not to hate someone just because they express some form of ism like racism or sexism or I mean I think it just I think we need to be um, well let me get into it so there's three separate reasons one reason is that it's um, the best choice for yourself as a person. Another reason relates to her as a person. And then the third category is the reasons related to the world generally and where we're going. So let's start with um, the preface to Pedagogy of the Oppressed because that's, that's my jam. I so love Pedagogy of the Oppressed. I hate the word pedagogy. It basically means teaching kind of thing. I, I really freaking hate that word, though. I mean, it basically knows. It, I, I, it's a pretentious word. It's totally annoying. I, I really freaking hate it. But it, it basically just means know what to do. We don't it, teaching somebody what to do. <coughs> so so if, so. A big part of the problem with overcoming oppression is we don't know how. Like, we don't know what to do to get there. What are the steps? There's no, nobody's going to lay out a plan. We have to figure it out for ourselves. Um, so I'm going to read from, or do, would you like to read from um, Pedagogy of the Oppressed? Not in the, particularly. I'll read it if you want me to. It's only a couple sentences. All but right. you have a much better reading voice. I as we. As we have. All right, so um, I'm just going to read the first paragraph and the first sentence in the second paragraph. So just to right there. I have encountered both in training courses which, in, which analyze the role of conscience and actual experimentation with a truly liberating education, the fear of freedom, discussed in the first chapter of this book. Okay, hold on to it for a second. Well, also read the footnote. So, so um, Fieri uses a, a word to describe um, basically... Uh, well, he, he defines it in, in the footnote. How does he define... How do you spell it again? The Go ahead with the footnote, C -O -N -S -C -I -E -N -T -I -Z -A -C -A sorry. C-O-N-S-C-I-E-N-T-I-Z-A-C-A-O. Yeah, I don't know how to pronounce that. It's a Nobody word knows. in Spanish. It's made up. Huh? Nothing. What? That's the problem I have with reading is that you don't ever have to verbalize it. And so you just recognize the word, but you never really, if you never verbalize it, it makes... The term refers to learning to perceive social, political, and economic contradictions and to take action against the oppressive elements of reality. Okay. So I feel like one of the things that happened with Stephen and I... Um, is that 
he hates dead air. Well, no, sorry. He hates anti-Semitism, which I understand. Um, all right. So Stephen said, well, my, my, I posted it. My initial comment was, I love this photo, but I hate anti-Semitism more. This Sunday, Yuri will be on the podcast to discuss, and Allie will be on be our guest um, during the Just Me and Chicks with Ed Ant Hour on Meet Me Radio. Um, Stephen Torres, who actually uh, is an LA comic, I, he was here recently in San Francisco. I don't remember why. Maybe the festival, um, but I first. I first remember seeing Steven perform at a place called The Spot in L.A. So the Spot is like a, is a coffee shop that basically does a joke workshop on Saturday afternoons. But because it's in L.A., it's in, in the coffee shop is, is, is the size, or the, they have this room in the back of the coffee shop that's basically the size of the, the Mutiny Radio, um, at least the portion with the audience and the stage. That's super, super hot every freaking se- It's L.A., and it's in this really freaking hot box with a, basically a joke workshop that's actually pretty well attended. Um, so Stephen responded and said, this girl has level 10 anti-Semitic sentiment. I said, well, she also seems to be surrounded by level 10 anti-Muslim sentiment in an apparent contradiction. Shouldn't we discuss that? No. He says, I'm sorry. I just don't pay attention to people that say Hitler didn't hate the Jews because he didn't kill them all. And that was a heinous, heinous comment that she made. Um, and I, but I feel like what ha- what's happening with Stephen is this. Um, it says... You know, we learn to perceive social, political, and economic contradictions and to take action against oppressive elements of reality. And that's something that we are very keen on doing in the 21st century, right? Um, Stephen has recognized that, uh, you know, he's good at perceiving social, political, and economic contradictions, and he's identified her and her, and her anti-Semitism as one of those um, political, social contradictions. And he has taken, his, his strategy is to take action by what he says is, I just, I don't pay attention to people that blah, 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 blah. So his response is, well, we're going to respond by not paying attention to them. Well, that's that I feel like speaks to her, and part of the reason we shouldn't hate her is because not paying attention to her is not going to solve the problem. And um, to the extent that it's true that if you're, you're either part of the problem or part of the solution, and if you just turn a blind eye to like if that's the strategy we just ignore, then it's not going to be, there's no way we are going to bring her to a better place. We're never going to be able to educate her out of her anti-Semitism. Um, we're making the false assumption that she, or potentially could be making the false assumption that she can't change or doesn't want to change. Um, 
And I don't think that's true. I think it is possible for to her to learn and grow. And I, and I certainly don't want to make the assumption that it's not possible. And if it is possible, then I know hating her is going to make it impossible. There's no way she's ever going to listen to someone that hates her, even if their reason for hating her um, is justified, because there are good parts of her, too. And if at some point in the future she comes to the place where she understands that she was wrong, then she's going to be in a better place. But she's why would she ever hate or why would she ever accept someone who hated her while she was wrong? Does that make any sense? Like, why? Well, why would she ever? Right, like when somebody hates you, it closes dialogue. It makes it impossible to um, reach a better place with them. So um, in chapter two, for example, Fieri says, uh, dialogue cannot exist without humanity. The naming of the world through which men constantly recreate the world cannot be an act of arrogance, right? Um, Dialogue as an encounter of men addressed to the common task of learning and acting is broken off if the parties or one of them lacks humility, right? Like if somebody hates you, why would you talk to them? Good question. You wouldn't want to, right? No, most people don't. I mean, most, if some, most people respond in kind in relationships. If you bring, if you, if you hate them they are gonna hate you back that's that's the general that's that can be that's a generally reasonably expected i think response um, um, except in the case of crazy stalkers you know they're that's one-sided love isn't it yeah yeah but i that's what i mean by general and of course there's always the exceptions um like your parents yeah. How could they ever really love you if they know that you're just going to go away? Hmm. How, Trina? How? Don't answer that. That's parents is a complex. That's a whole can of worms. Uh, yeah. You want to get into parents can of worms? I can do that at the end. Um, but I also brought a book by um, Zunzi, which is a an ancient Chinese philosopher, and I want to rename the the word that Fieri uses and 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 frame the way he says. Um, you know, he wants to create a term and does create a term for learning to perceive social, political, and economic contradiction and to take action against the oppressive elements of reality. I absolutely think we should do that. And I agree that we should all continue to attempt to learn to perceive the social and political contradictions and to take action against those oppressive elements. My disagreement with Stephen and my disagreement with generally hating haters is that hating them is not an action against that type of oppression that's going to work. It's going to be counterproductive. And I know that's counterintuitive because we, we need that emotion of hate. And it comes from the, I think, more 
it doesn't come from the thinking part of the brain. I think it comes from the part of the brain that's either mammalian or limbic in that it, it's, it's a, a very good warning for us. You know, it's clearly being anti-Semitic is dangerous and bad and our, it's important for us to believe that and feel that way, but it's also important for us not to dwell on the hate overly, right? Like if that's all we do, if we allow the hate to consume us and we don't put that hate in check, that's also going to overtake us and it's going to be, we're going to then be out of balance. So I'm not suggesting we get rid of hate altogether. I'm not suggesting that we don't ever hate anybody or we don't ever pay attention to that emotion when it comes up for us. What I'm saying is that we recognize it and acknowledge it, and then we can also rationally understand that we need to be careful and to take appropriate action against that particular oppressive element and I'm suggesting that hate is not appropriate for a myriad of reasons that we're going through today but one of those reasons is that it's bad for us individually to spend that much time dwelling on a on a destructive emotion it's like eating too much junk food um and again, I'm not suggesting that you, we never feel that feeling. I'm suggesting we put it in its proper place, give it a proper balance and contextualization. Um, in Shinji, and when I actually, the first time I taught this, I disagreed with this with my students. Um, X-U-N-Z-I, I'm reading from Basic Writings, um, which was um, translated by Burton Watson. Um, man's nature is evil. Goodness is the result of conscious activity. The nature of man is such that he is born with a fondness for profit. If he indulges this fondness, it will lead him into wrangling and strife, and all sense of courtesy and humility will disappear. He is born with feelings of envy and hate, and if he indulges in these, they will lead him into violence and crime and all sense of loyalty and good faith will disappear. So for our own personal well-being, it's important to keep that hate in check. Um, and the reason it's important, in addition to the, the reason, I mean, just the effectiveness of it if we overindulge in it, and if you want to just generally be a successful person, I would strongly recommend not overindulging in hate. I agree with Shinzi on that point, and part of the reason for that is that if you take a group and you, and you, and you believe that, um, like, like she's done. I mean, what's wrong with her anti-Semitism is that she hates an, an entire group. I, I don't know the reasons for her hating an entire group, 
but certainly there are probably some members within that group like every group that are deserving of her hate and others are not and it's it's unfair and unjust um and just plain ignorant obviously to hate an entire group of people based on something like race. Um, so she's taken a set of people and hated both the good and the bad in that set. And what'll happen if you, if you apply the Zunzi conscious activity and you work on tempering that hate and replacing those feelings of hate with positive emotions like love or gratitude. And again, I'm not saying never register hate. I'm just saying pull it back significantly. Um, then you will apply that same philosophy to the thoughts that you have about yourself. Um, because generally what people tend to do, and I would bet, um, Stephen falls into this category based on my experience meeting him, is, this, is that we ourselves also engage in uh, self-talk and self-hate that if we, if we apply that sort of checking and balancing to other people, then that will automatically apply that same balancing and checking to our own self-talk and we'll become happier, more balanced people personally. So it's, a, it's an amazing trick. All you have to do is just not hate on other people, put that in balance and you won't hate on yourself, which then has this miraculous effect of making you a more successful person. Okay, so let me, let me talk about then transitioning on to one of the reasons not to hate her is that what effect does hating her have on her, for us anyway? Like maybe if I was her next door neighbor, that might make a difference, but I live in a completely different country. She doesn't even know Stephen and I had this conversation. She doesn't know how I'm having this conversation now. She doesn't know hate, Stephen hates her. He's, he's engaging in a destructive emotion or an overindulging in a destructive destruction. And it, has, it doesn't even destroy her. It only destroys him. Right? And I can understand why hate is super, super dangerous. Like, none of us want to be on that slippery slope, right? Obviously, in the 20th century, we know that anti-Semitism is dangerously um, close to, to, us, to leading to the, the genocide that we saw in World War II. And nobody, nobody wants that. We need to guard against that. And again, that's why it's okay to register the emotion of hate. We just need to pull it back and temper it. And I want to know, like, like, why? Like, what does it do for her, right? Like, how it doesn't impact her at all. So to the extent that she doesn't even know she's being hated is yet another reason it's not going to be effective in, in making a difference. Um, and what's the, the essence? I, I could have sworn that she took that duck face selfie in front of anti-Islamists because they hated her. Well, you know what? Right. 
Right. Wait, but that's what I'm saying. Like, what does us hating her do? Like, we don't hate her. I mean, we, or, or, or Stephen hating her. Like, it's. The point is, she sought out a group of people that hated her, got in front of them, and did a duck face selfie just to put a cherry on top of douchebaggery. What do you mean, just to put a cherry on top of douchebaggery? I, I mean, mean the, do, I didn't. Do you, do you go around uh, looking for uh, black supremacist groups that actively hate white people? And well, how do you know? I mean, so, 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 so you're saying, like, she wasn't. <coughs> I'm saying that those people carried signs. Yeah. That were anti-Muslim. Right. You know, there's, there's, unless if she didn't know how to read. You wouldn't want to respond to like if there were, if there were signs. Okay, I mean, well, you would. Let me put it this way: if there was a Klan rally marching down that street over there, right? I would not be going towards them. But there are lots of people in San Francisco who would. There are a lot of crazy people in San Francisco, Trina. They're not all crazy. A lot of them are. Yeah. Okay, but what's your point? My point is, uh, she did it for attention, and now we've been talking about it for two weeks when I was bored after the first one. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> you don't have to be here. I'm sorry that this is boring. <laughs> it's, it's just so important. Uh. And, you know, the photo I posted is not her selfie. I did not post her selfie. You understand that, right? The photo that went around is not her selfie. She was in it though, right? Yeah, somebody else took the photo. They took a photo of her taking a selfie. It's not her selfie. They took a photo of her taking a selfie. It's not her photo. That only makes it twice as stupid. Not at all. No. Taking a selfie in front of people that hate you. And then doing the duck face. Why is that bad? Just seems a little weird. I mean, Why? Why would it be bad to challenge in that way um, an anti-Muslim group or well, anti-anything group? Because if they're anti-you and you're small and frail, it doesn't sound like that great of an idea to be in front of them. So it's dangerous for her. Yeah, yeah. She, she was basically taunting them into doing violent acts. She wasn't. No, I don't think that's a fair representation of what she was doing. Taking a duck face selfie in front of an anti-Islamic group as an Islamic lady. Is not a taunt to violence, no. I don't think that would be legally considered a violent taunt. Yeah, I'm not sure what is considered a legal taunt. Well... You know, I've read some cases about it. I've taken some courses. It's been a long, long time. But I think that, like, the legal phrase is inciting a riot. Obviously, she's not trying to incite a riot. But, but I don't know. You think she was trying I, I, to incite a riot or just violence? I don't think you know what duck face is meant to do. I mean, think, think about it. The only people that do duck face photos are ladies trying to look beautiful. Right? Am I right? No, that's selfies. like pouty face. Yeah, pouty face is duck face. No, duck face is like, no, it's not kissy. It's she didn't, totally kissy. It is not. Look it up. I, I ha I've seen the photo. I've looked at it a gazillion yeah, times. She's not doing it, a kissy face. Yeah, because it's called duck face when you do it for a selfie alone. Think about it, Trina. 
so she's kissing herself. So she's doing a kissy face to herself, and you the think that is it aimed at inciting term, riot or violence? The technical term is duck face, and nobody likes duck face. Okay, I get you, but you've you've explained that a duck face is what, like a kissy face? And you think a kissy I, I feel, face at herself I feel is you're playing how, word games. And I just, you know, what you're that. telling me doesn't, I'm trying to make sense of what you're telling me. And what you're telling me is it sh it's a kissy face, no? Duck face. Okay, so duck face is not a fuck you face? I think any time that you get in front of people that hate you and you're trying to do a fuck you face... You're, you're kind of tempting fate there. You know, am, am I wrong? I, I think so. It depends on the circumstances. Uh, I mean, if they've got sticks raised, but, but she didn't look very close to them. She looked like she was a safe distance. I mean, they don't have guns or any weapons that I see. Yeah. It doesn't yeah, look yeah, to me yeah, like yeah. she's inciting. Since, it depends on how many other people are around her. I mean, if she's alone. Since when do mobs need weapons to be violent, Trina? Since when? Okay, but we're talking about why not to hate her. And I don't think that her decision to put herself in danger is a good enough reason to hate her and to engage in that destructive emotion that's counter to our own well-being. It doesn't seem to me to be worth sacrificing our own well-being to hate her. No matter what she I mean based no matter how I mean we're gonna have to I'm gonna have to hear something kind of way out there to think that it would be worth that destructive emotion mm. even then I think it would be unlikely I mean because what is her ignorance her ignorance is that she's making false assumptions about Jewish people I would assume right that's part of it mm. Nip, false negative assumptions I don't feel like I've satisfied you with my answer. No. We're just. I, 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 well, I feel like you. I feel like you're prejudiced against her because she's anti-Semitic. No, I'm prejudiced against her, her because she's ma taking duck face selfies. So it's everybody who takes duck face selfies, or more like everybody who takes dumb pictures in dumb places. Yeah, that that that's that's pretty much it. I mean, if somebody took a duck face selfie in front of a, a an active volcano, I'd be, I wouldn't want to listen to stories about them either. Well, the thing is, I feel like we need to help people understand how to take action against oppression. And so you're suggesting um, that taking a duck face selfie at a anti-you protest is not the appropriate action. So what action would you suggest that's appropriate under those circumstances? I don't know. Maybe not trying to interact with them in a way that makes you come off as a superior to them b like you don't really give a shit about them at all when it, they're a group that's opposed to you or but i, I, I mean I, I, that's I, what i, I thought we were, everyone was I arguing with me about i'm i felt like everyone was like you know basically i think that's that what we're supposed to do to her I, I, I feel that right? you're trying to frame the story like okay. she's a hero or a champion when she's just somebody who took a shitty selfie. Okay. Well, let's talk about the hero or champion issue. I, I, I don't think she's a hero. I think 
she is an anti-Semite who's dealing with anti uh, Muslim protesters is what I think, and I think do, she's. Do, do you spend two weeks talking about an anti-hero? Oh, we're going to spend a lot more time than two weeks. I wouldn't come ah. next week if you don't want to talk about this with me again. <laughs> so, here's the thing: she is. We don't know anything about her. We're making lots of assumptions about her by hating her. We don't know why she hates Jewish people. I'm not, I'm not suggesting there's ever a, a okay reason, but if so, let's say for example, um, she was uh, gang raped by Jewish men. Would that, how would you feel about her then? Would you, how would you feel about her hate and her actions if you found out that that was true about her? I would feel that I've spent way too much time figuring things out about her. Okay, well, if you hadn't spent any time trying to figure things out about her and you had just found out, like, like if, if, I, if you found out she was, that that was true, just like you found out that she was an anti-Semite, how would that, how would that change your opinion of her? I, I, I feel you're missing the point. I, I, I don't really want to think about this person any longer. Okay, then how about <laughs> I just talk and, and do what I've prepared? Okay, yeah, all right. Let, let me stop, uh, stop, stop stopping you then. Yeah. I mean, I don't mind engaging with you, and but I'm going to argue with you. Whatever you tell me, I'm going to argue it. Yeah. I mean, I'm an attorney. I, that's what I'm here to do is argue. I'm going to go take a leave. Okay. Um, so, I think it's important for us to be careful about making assumptions about other people. I mean, we're, if, if, if we choose to hate her because she hates other people, um, without knowing why she hates other people, I, I feel like we're making, we might be making a mistake in our assumptions about her, just like we think she's making an as a mistake about uh, her her assumptions about Jewish people. So again, I'm not suggesting that what we do is that we accept her anti-Semitism. Not at all. We hate her anti-Semitism. We just don't hate her. We keep her anti-Semitism in check and we are careful not to hate the good with the bad. Um, and again, when I, I think that what we do is we use um, her dilemma. So we don't even have to assume that she is dealing with the same sort of anti Muslim sentiment that she employs herself. So how do we know then that she um, wasn't so influenced by this philosophy? Let's go back to Fieri. One of the basic elements of the relationship between the oppressor and oppressed is prescription. Every prescription represents the imposition of one man's choice upon another, transforming the consciousness of the man prescribed into one that conforms with 
the prescriber's consciousness. Thus, the behavior of the oppressed is a prescribed behavior following as it does the guidelines of the oppressor. So at this point, what we know about her oppressor, to the extent that we are aware that she's dealing with anti-Muslim oppression, we know that her oppressor is um, employing this common um, anti-your-group logic whereby our group is all good and your group is all bad. And so she's resisting that. She's saying no, um, my group isn't all bad. You're not seeing the good in our group. I'm very well aware of the good in our group and probably turning a blind eye to the bad. And so if we are dealing, she's saying to herself, you know, at least at a minimum, if, if we employ the logic of one group all good, one group all bad, then my group, Muslims, are not the group that's all bad. Um, and that, And if we... If we only see things as black and white in that way, and my group is um, not all bad because it's at least partially good, if not all good, then you're the group that's all bad. I mean, it's the logic is the logic. And so we have to get away from the logic, get away from the principle, and understand that no one person and no one group is all either good or bad. But we can understand that she is potentially at a minimum trapped in that logic. I'm going to read from Vietti again. Um, to surmount the situation of oppression, men must first critically recognize its causes so that through transforming action, they can create a new situation, one which makes possible the pursuit of a fuller humanity. And that is actually not at all what I wanted to read. I, sorry, to, to the wrong place. I mean, we can talk about that. I mean, that's a great sentence. Um, but she has to recognize the causes of oppression. And I'm suggesting that one of the causes of oppression is this binary thinking whereby one group is all bad and one group is all good, right? So one of the things that we have to get rid of is the cause. And if, to the extent that that's a cause, if us hating her and all of her, just like she hates um, the Jews and all of the Jews, it's the same logic. It's just a different set. It's either a set of people or a set of cells. It's still a set. And we're not going to hate the entire set if there's good and bad mixed in with the set. And obviously, if there's all bad in the set, also not worthy of hate. Um, but the point is that it's really, really common in struggling to overcome oppression. And if she's taking a duck face selfie at an anti-Muslim rally, she's obviously struggling to overcome oppression. So it's common for oppressors to as they or excuse me the oppressed as they work through their oppression to become uh, what Fieri calls sub-oppressors so 
but almost always during the initial stage, I'm sorry, I'm reading from Pietti again, but almost always during the initial stage of the struggle, the oppressed, instead of striving for liberation, tend themselves to become oppressors or sub-oppressors. The very structure of their thought has been conditioned by the contradictions of the concrete existential situation by which they are shaped. So she is shaped by an contradiction of concrete ex her concrete existential situation which is anti-group so she's struggling to f overcome her the oppression imposed upon her group and in doing that she's becoming a sub-oppressor she's becoming a, her own oppressor of a different group her group is oppressed and so she's reacting to that by a group by oppressing another group, and that is not the appropriate reaction to oppression. So first, learning, to, you know, going back to conscious activity, learning to perceive the social, political, and economic contradictions and to take action against the oppressive elements of reality, you know, it's important for us to get those actions right. And it's difficult for us to get those actions right because we don't know what actions to take. That's the whole problem. We don't know what to do. What do we do? Nobody knows. That's the problem. There is no pedagogy. There is no A, first A, then B, then C. So, I feel, let's see. Also, if you're, if you're hating, let's see, hating is an attempt usually to take action. It's our body's knee-jerk response to oppression. But it's, again, not the action that is going to be effective. The only thing that's going to be effective is an act of love. So I'm going to turn to Fieri again and read from Fieri. The oppressor is in solidarity with the oppressed only when he stops regarding the oppressed as an abstract category and sees them as persons who have been unjustly dealt with, deprived of their voice, cheated in their sale of labor when he stops making pious, sentimental, and individualistic gestures and risks an act of love. True solidarity, solidarity is found only in the plentitude of this act of love. In its existentiality, it is a praxis. To affirm that men are persons and as persons should be free and yet do nothing tangible to make this affirmation a reality is a farce. So, in other words, sitting home and doing nothing is a farce if you want to spout out that men are persons and as persons should be free. So, at least she's attempting to do something. I'm not suggesting that her attempt isn't flawed. And instead, um, we're going to be reading in chapter 2 of Fieri that what we have to do is expect 
these actions to be flawed. There, because there is no pedagogy, because we don't know what to do, we are going to stumble and fall and we need to expect that. We absolutely cannot expect to always get it right and to get it right the first time. We are not computers. The opposite of hate is not a concert, an not it can't be an act in concert with oppression. So to the extent that oppression and hate are really commonly associated, I mean, hate really quickly leads to oppression. So we have to be careful that we also in that hate do not become sub-oppressors. I feel like it seems so clear that anti-Semitism is wrong and that we shouldn't um, support anti-Semitism. And of course, there's, that's absolutely true. But that type of hate, that level 10 hate, is in concert. It's consistent with oppression. Oppressors are hateful. So we need to be careful and particularly suspect of action that is taken that's in concert, consistent with oppression. So why not take action as it relates to her rather than by ignoring her um, by trying to educate her. I mean, it might not work, but at least it's an action that has a chance. Ignoring her has no chance. Hating her has even less chance. And also, how do we know that the act itself, like how do we know that as she makes these attempts, to challenge the oppression that she is struggling with, how do we know that that in and of itself will not educate her out of her anti-Semitism? Right? Like, as she engages in becoming a more fully conscious person through challenging oppression she very well may come to the conclusion on her own that anti-Semitism is bad. I mean, getting back to um, my question posed to um, Ed earlier, we don't know why she's anti-Semitic. Maybe she's completely and totally surrounded by anti-Semites. Maybe she goes to a mosque with a, an anti-Semitic leader. I mean, I, I can make any number of assumptions about her, good or bad, but I think it's dangerous to make assumptions and then use those assumptions to engage in a very destructive emotion like hate. I mean, we better be getting it right when we hate people. Just, I mean, oh God, I mean, then you're no better than her. I mean, if you make bullshit assumptions about her, if you get her really, really wrong, then you're no better than her if you hate her.
right? Like what we don't like about what she's doing is that she's making um, false, false negative assumptions about people that the likely, you know, potentially in an exception proves the rule kind of logic. We don't know. But if we apply compassion, if we, can, if we take her dilemma into account, I'm going to read from Fieri again. The oppressed suffer from the duality which has established itself in their innermost being. They discover that without freedom, they cannot exist authentically. Yet, although they desire, desire authentic existence, they fear it. They are at one and at the same time the themselves and the oppressor whose contradictions they have internalized. So I'm suggesting, you know, we, we can, instead of assuming that she's just making this ridiculously ignorant choice to be um, anti-Semitic in the face of no particular context for that. Um, I mean, I, 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 at a minimum, she's internalizing conflict. I mean, that is a conflicted position. We can all agree on that. I mean, I mean, I was challenged by Yuri in that, you know, she's a hypocrite. Absolutely. But the problem is we're all hypocrites. Like we all use trash, like it's going out of style. I mean, the future generations are going to think we're, we were ridiculously hypocritical by saying we support the environment and yet consuming so much trash. Um, and so we all fall, can easily fall into that hypocritical, you know, turning a blind eye to our own actions that are inconsistent with our beliefs. So she's clearly internalizing this inconsistency. The conflict lies in the choice between being wholly themselves or being divided, be ejecting the oppressor within or not ejecting him, between hum human solidarity or alienation, between following prescriptions or having choices, between being spectators or actors, between acting or having the illusion of acting through the action of the oppressors, between speaking out or being silent, castrated in their power to create and recreate in their power to transform the world. This is the tragic dilemma of the oppressed, which their education must take into account. So what I'm suggesting is that we take this into account, not to accept her anti-Semitism. We would never, ever do that. We always reject the anti-Semitism, but we never reject her. So we, re we, we inform our hate, we apply reason to our hate, we think about all the reasons that it's, it's not a good idea to indulge and engage in that highly personally destructive emotion of hate, and we do that, we pull that back by rationalizing, well, She's clearly in this tragic dilemma, and let's take that into account when we decide not to hate her. So Sunzi again. When we see good, then diligently, this is in um, chapter two of 
the ancient Chinese philosopher Zunzi, which I have a really hard time pronouncing because it's spelled X-U-N-Z-I, basic writings. Uh, chapter 2. When you see good, then diligently examine your own behavior. When you see evil, then with sorrow look into yourself. When you find good in yourself, steadfastly improve, approve it. When you find evil in yourself, hate it as something loathsome. He who comes to you with censure is your teacher. He co who comes to you with approbation is your friend. He who flatters you is your enemy. Therefore, the gentleman honors as his teacher, draws close as his friends, but heartily hates his enemies. He loves good untiringly and can accept reprimand and take warning from it. Therefore, though he may have no particular wish to advance, how can he not help but do so? Right? So what we need to do, we need to employ this conscious activity. When we see parts of ourselves that are good, we need to dwell on those. We need to look upon the parts of ourselves that are bad with sorrow, just like we look on her with sorrow. I mean, let's be sorrowful for the anti-Semitism. Be hyper-vigilant about controlling that so that it doesn't get out of hand and engage in the conscious activity. I'm sorry, not the conscious activity. Engage in the attempt to engage in the transforming action of doing something about it instead of just writing her off as hopeless. Let's maintain our hope and try to figure out a way to overcome her anti-Semitism rather than just, again, assuming that it's an unchangeable position of hers. We all get to be wrong sometimes. Stephen's wrong. It happens. Um, let's see. Let's go back to the conversation with Stephen, though. So one of the things he said that I thought was funny was that um, I had initially been frustrated because he, he, he said that, you know, he made that comment that I've heard people say before, which is, well, you know, n now, now I know, you know, which one, ones of my friends research the memes and which one of my friends just forward memes without researching them. And I said to him, I could have been nicer. I should have been nicer. I was a little bit too upset at first. Um, I said, are you kidding? Who has time to research every meme? I'm not like this. Facebook is not, I'm not, I'm not, uh, um, oh my God, you guys, I'm so sorry. I had my phone out to look at the freaking um, comment from Steve, and I got a bunch of um, texts, and that totally just threw me off. So I am so sorry. That just happened, and now I'm thrown off. Um, So I had said, look, this is Facebook. This is not the venue. I'm not a, I'm not a journalist. 
I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. If you, if what you need from me is a disclaimer on my Facebook page that says none of these memes have been independently researched by me, and you should take them as such, that seems fair. I, I don't. I mean, it's Facebook. This isn't a newspaper. I'm not posting. I'm not a newspaper. I, I you know, my what I posted at the top. It's not her selfie. Again, it's a photograph of her taking a selfie of herself, but it's not her selfie. And at the top, it says, Epic Troll, when you stop at the at an anti-Muslim ra- rally for a selfie. Right? I mean, I, th- I think that that is an appropriate action to take against oppressive elements of society. And I think we are desperate for our pedagogy. We are desperate for an action plan. Nobody has that. So, so let's, I think it's important to emphasize what we can do that's appropriate and safe and nonviolent. And I disagree that this is an invitation to violence. I that doesn't seem like a fair representation of just taking a photograph. I mean, that's been one of the nice things about the advances in um, technology. Let's see. But I still don't have time to research all of it. And, And I don't think it's fair to expect that of me. And I think, you know, it's, it's it, I just, I don't get it. I don't think that's what's, what it's really about for um, Stephen. I think it's really about something else. But I thought it was funny then at the end of the thread, he says to me, because I quoted him, I mean, excuse me, Fieri, of course and tried to make my case for not hating her and why we shouldn't hate her. Um, But I, like, I just, look, when you're arguing with somebody, don't make assumptions. If you don't know something for sure is true, I wouldn't try to blast somebody in an argument with that false, with that assumption, because you just, you look ridiculous. So one of the things Stephen said to me was, well, you know, you claim you don't have time to research these memes, but then you ran around doing all these, all this research to prove your point. Well, no. I didn't. I didn't do any, I didn't run around doing any research. It's, I got up off my couch, went to my purse, pulled my copy of Pedagogy of the Oppressed out of my purse, sat back down on the couch, and then spit out the quote. I mean, I, I just, like, just, just for him to just engage in that kind of, anyway, all right. So, just that's just my tip to you. When you're arguing with somebody, don't make assumptions about them. Like, for example, don't assume that they had to do some research to be intelligent. So, we are going to take a 10-minute break for the breaker, and um, we will get back to you um, soon.
from around the world with Buell's passionate and down-to-earth delivery. In an age of personal music delivery systems, J.D. Buell carries on the values of progressive FM radio when a listener could actually have a relationship with a programmer, someone who would create an eclectic musical environment wherein both listener and host find fulfillment. The Morning Train with J.D. Buell, Wednesday, 10 to noon on mutinyradio.fm. Freeform Radio for free minds. and underground space for an event? Look no further than mutinyradio.fm. Our 30-seat flexible space can accommodate your acoustic band, birthday party, comedy show, dance party, karaoke super fun, theater event, fundraiser. If you think it, we can do it. You run the door in promotion, we run the sound, space, and podcast. Rentals available Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10 at Mutiny Radio FM's performance space at 2781 21st Street in the Deep Mission at 21st in Florida. Contact Pam at pamsadai at hotmail.com for more options and booking dates. Incredible socialist prices so you can be creative in a free speech space without breaking the bank. That's Mutiny Radio Rentals every Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10. Book your event now. Trying to hurt me, but boy, how it burns me whenever she touched me. And oh, I feel so lucky. Well, hey there, San Francisco. If you're looking for some delicious late-night food, I suggest you mosey on down to Bender's Bar. Inside, you can find Counter Offer, and my offering you amazing late-night food and snacks. Try the chicken biscuit. It's like your stomach's in a tasty tornado. They have exceptionally great daily ground sustainable burgers with sides of tater tots, grilled asparagus, and delicious zucchini, and creamy delicious mac and cheese. You like tacos? They get them! And from the specials, very deep fried fish sandwich to a stoner burger with a donut bun. What are those crazy potheads gonna come up with next? Go to the counter offer inside of Brenda's Bar at 800 South Van Ness Avenue, San Francisco. It's located between 19th Street and 20th Street in the Mission District. Open seven nights a week from 5 to 10 p.m. or later. Counter offer, son! and live music promotion, go to www.subliminalsf.com and check out their hilarious t-shirts and super cool bands at clubs and bars all over the Bay Area. Subliminal SF creates amazing flyers, posters, and design for every need. So go now to www.subliminalsf.com and experience what this wonderful local business has to offer. Run! 
happy hour. What could be happier than 23 comics doing jokes for each other and at a radio listening audience? Puppets, kittens, unicorns, porn maybe? Oh, well, stage time makes them happy and this super happy comedy open mic is open every Friday from 6 to 8 p.m. But you can also listen anytime by downloading the podcast at Mutiny Radio FM Index at podcasts.pcrcollective.org So come live or listen later or to every happy hour mic Friday from 6 to 8 p.m. at Radio FL Mutiny Radio. I just fucked that up again. What the fuck is wrong with me? Yeah! I got it. Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Well, shoot. From time to time, I've given it a thought of two. You know, if you go to Joke Workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dang nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo!
good. Okay. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, no one got hit by a bus, but <laughs> Tesla, it's like watching. pretty good. And I could throw that in there somewhere. <laughs> get that, get those bus fans. Yeah, my uh, my bus shot already happened. <laughs> if the you're bus ever, shot. if you're ever in, uh, if you're ever in Wicked Grounds. Yeah. Oh yeah. Go in the the bathroom. Okay. In the light box. Okay. The mirror in the bathroom. Yeah. Or the light box in the ba- bathroom. That's the X-ray of my arm. Oh really? Yeah. Oh shit! I'm gonna have to go check that out. Check it out. That's early on. I'm definitely gonna have to go see that. Yeah. That's so cool. Wicked Grounds is a coffee shop. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. You guys should check that out. Wait, I do want to ask you, what's your favorite coffee? <laughs> San Francisco coffee. I like stuff. I like beans from uh, Rwanda. Okay. Nice. And I, I'm. Uh, Rwanda's good. I don't like Ethiopian. It's too blueberryish. I'm enthralled with the, uh, with the process. Yeah. You know the warm cup. The, Hell yeah. The white filters and the timed. Yep. And the perfect temperature and the yeah. Coffee's fun. Hey man, you guys, you guys are the experts. Um, I, I'm, we're gonna actually have to cut it off because we're we're at 12 p.m. 12:01. But thank you guys so much for listening, Morgan. Thank you thank for doing you. the bonus shenanigans. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and and hit stop, and then uh, Tess is gonna play some other shenanigans, and then uh, you know that's great because then we won't have dead air. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks so much. Ta-da. Dude, Morgan, thank you for staying for two
so much for tuning in my name is andrea this is sass and brass it's been a week a quick hiatus due to work things and life things but it is so lovely to be back i hope the groove is actually in your heart as it is in mine if not that's a problem you need to think about it look into the mirror and reflect today's episode about reflection perspective looking back whether it be, you know, advertising choices or what you did with your heart, that's what today's episode is all about. Let's keep moving forward. Um, you're listening to D Light. Ooh, 
all know the name of that song, who it was from, which album, what time period, Fleetwood Mac people. Um, so silly, I actually started to just connect with this band. Um, but yeah, uh, absolutely beautiful. And this song is all about introspection, looking back, having a point of reference in your life. Um, recently, it was brought to my attention that someone who I used to think was absolutely intimidating on many different levels. Um, and then I actually had the pleasure of meeting in person, uh, passed away. Um, this person was walking around town, downtown San Francisco with their mother, where they were struck and unfortunately killed by a motor vehicle. Um, they're no longer with us. And it's really a shame um, to, to um, know about this person and meet them only briefly in passing, but actually having a fantastic time with them when I met them and knowing that they're no longer going to be with us. Um, and I'm actually looking back at, back at that point of reference. Um, all the stress and anxiety I put into this one person that, you know, never should have existed and just flowing. I could have just flowed with the situation and enjoyed their company, but I was intimidated by them. I was jealous of how successful and amazing they were. Um, and then upon meeting them, you just kind of realize that they're like a wholesome, good-hearted person that, you know, should be successful and should get the world. Um, and now that they're unfortunately no longer with us, I'm almost filled with a little bit of regret for um, putting anxiety into a situation where it could have been an opportunity. Um, so that song's really re resonating with me on a deeper level. Um, with that being said, um, <laughs> Today's theme is about reference, introspection, and looking back. My name's Andrea. I'm your host. Um, this is Sass and Brass. We're going to get to the brass part eventually. We'll get there. We'll get there. Maybe some sass sprinkled in between, but until then, hang in. Skin makes me cry 
cooperative do-it-yourself bike repair shop. They provide all tools and parts you need to fix or build a bicycle. A staff of volunteer mechanics is available to give advice and answer questions. Instead of charging fees, the Bike Kitchen charges membership dues that are $5 a day or $40 a year. If you're short on cash, you can earn a membership or parts by volunteering in the shop for a certain amount of hours. For more information, please go to bikekitchen.org. This public service announcement is brought to you by Mutiny Radio. Please be advised that the following program contains language and content of an adult nature. I'm Rocky Carroll. This is Charlene Woodard. This is Myron Willis. I'm Judy Ann Elder. I'm Charlie Robinson. I'm Tessa Thompson. This is LA Theater Works. I'm Susan Lowenberg. We know that kind of woman who came from a very working class family, and she really did pull herself up. But now she has no respect for anyone who's not pulled up. That's actress and playwright Charlene Woodard talking about her role as the title character in Fabulation or the Re-Education of Undine by the Pulitzer Prize-winning playwright Lynn Nottage. In Fabulation, Woodard plays Undine Barnes, a self-absorbed publicist whose calculated ignorance fails to protect her from the vagaries of fame and fortune. As the course of her life is dramatically reversed, she finds herself back home with the family she left behind and the true self she hoped to escape for good. And now, L.A. Theatre Works presents Fabulation or the Re-Education of Undine by Lynn Nottage, starring Charlene Woodard and Daniel Breaker. with you. I admire your expectations, but they're unrealistic, love. Yes, I can deliver something within your range, uh, but your ambition outpaces your budget. But, uh, but, ah, ah, ah. listen to me. <laughs> this is going to be a total waste of our energy. Now, I've been doing this for a very long time. People give more when they get more. Yes, they, uh, they want a seat next to a celebrity and a five-pound gift bag. It's the truth. <laughs> five years ago, we could get away with half glasses of Chardonnay and a musical theater star. <laughs> but not today. Generosity does not come cheaply. You're competing with heifers and amputees, rare palms, tuberculosis. What about the cause Love, people don't want to think about a cause. That's why they give. (laughs) Yes, I want to hear your thoughts. I am listening. Listen, I'm at the outer limits of my time, and so I'm going to have to ask you to speak more quickly. (laughs) I will. Yes, listen, we'll talk tomorrow about the new budget. (laughs) Bye-bye. Steffi, if Altrice calls back, tell her I left for the day. Oh, and uh, 
Did Hervé call? <clears throat> Buzz me when he does. And Sweet Pea, where are we with tonight's event? God, don't tell me that. Now, you know the rule. If you can't find me a celebrity, you find me someone celebrity-like. <laughs> wait, wait, I don't understand what you're saying. Stop, stop. Ah, ah, ah. Get in here. Okay, now how difficult is it to find me someone who can make an entrance? In. Jesus, how difficult is it? They can send probes to Mars. I'm just asking for someone slightly fabulous. Like? Like the f- blonde with the perky nipples. Oh, you know the one. She's what's-his-name's girlfriend, the comedian. You know, her. She's an alcoholic, Undine. I don't care if she's an alcoholic. As long as she can hold it together long enough for a photo op. After that, she can swim to Taiwan in booze for all I care. But she's not... <clears throat> Tell her it's an open bar. Oh. <laughs> that way she'll get there on time. It doesn't feel right. Oh, it doesn't feel right. Visualize a job behind a counter. Okay. How does that feel? Yeah, I thought so. Why are you being such a harpy this morning? You're acting like, I don't know, like some sort of a... a An employer? (laughs) Please. Back to the list, my little hater. I've been through the list like four times. I've called absolutely everyone. What about the contingency list? Done. What about... Oh, she's doing something with... Oh, screw her. She hasn't had a movie in two years. Two years. And I'm offering her free publicity. Sorry. I spoke to her myself. She's on, like, some sort of a spiritual journey. God damn it. If I have to hear about one more celebrity on a spiritual journey, I will. It's okay. She's closed that door. Let her go. Let her go do her yoga thing. I don't care. So, how are we doing with our friends in the media? The perennial from WBAI and some intern from Newsweek have confirmed. Everyone else is wait and see. Like, nobody cares about fallopian blockage. It isn't exactly what... Hush! Hush! This is going to be fine. We're okay. And we have plenty of time. Call George. George! <laughs> Tell him Andine is cashing in her favor. I need someone up and coming. Young, hip, hip hop, in fact. <laughs> On the verge. Gangsterish enough to cause a stir. Okay. But not enough to cause a problem. Okay. And don't let him weasel out. I don't want any New York Times Hagfest photos. Fun, fun, fun. A vibe. Vanity Fair. The V's. Okay. Oh, let's shake it up a little bit. Okay. Mix and match. Shake it up. Shake God it up. damn it. If we can't find us a celebrity, we'll create a new one. This is going to be great. What are you wearing? Oh, bam. Goodbye. But. Goodbye. I forgot your accountant's waiting outside. Oh, God. What does he want? Give me a minute. I can't breathe. Oh, get it together, Andine. Okay. Send the little p in. Richard, come on. 
It's a little early in the day for a visit. Hmm? Oh, put away your business school face. I'm not signing anything. Why didn't you tell me you and Hervé split? Why? Because I only just found out. Apparently, I'm the last to know. Jesus, I'm sorry, Undine. You? How do you think I felt when I woke up this morning and his closet was bare? Yikes. How do you manage that? I don't know. He took his clothing to the dry cleaners every day. I didn't question it. I just thought he had a compulsion to be clean, little ferret. How was I supposed to know that he was slowly sneaking out of my life piece by piece? Do you know where he is? No, and frankly, I don't care. Well, I wish you did. We had dinner last night. I mean, we talked about redoing the living room in antique white, stupid ass. I mean, he was, he was actually attentive and warm. And he was, well, he, uh, he was also slowly siphoning money out of your accounts. Steffi, would you come back in? Undine, did you hear what I said? In. Sweet Pea, will you have Jeremy run out and buy me uh, some aspirin, a pregnancy test kit, and I need a pair of pantyhose, and tell that idiot I do not wear flesh tone or natural, <laughs> that I am suntan or bronzed or cocoa. Oh, yes, and I desperately need a triple cafe latte, no milk. You mean a triple espresso. I am so pleased to know you learned something during your year in Italia. Mm -hmm. How much did that word cost your parents? Five hundred dollars? But what I'm asking for is a triple cafe latte, no milk. Is that clear? Are you all right? I am waiting for my coffee. Pronto, that's Italian for do your job. Is there anything else? Steffi! Yes. I love you. (gasps) Goodbye. (sighs) Undine, did you hear what... You are not saying that Arafat... ...has disappeared with all... I don't believe it. Now, he's a duplicitous, conniving little fool. But he's not a thief. Lighten up. Oh, he probably just took a cruise to St. Martin. Or maybe he moved the money into some mutual fund. He'll resurface once he's bored. (laughs) St. Martin's, I see. Shall I break it down for you? When you made your husband a co-signatory on all of your accounts, you essentially gave him the power to do whatever he wanted with your money, which is exactly what has been done. I'm sorry, my mind just went totally blank for a moment. (laughs) Come again. Undine, do you understand what I'm saying? He has absconded with all of your money. Absconded! (laughs) That's a very British word, Richard. You make it sound as if he's not coming back. I'm dead serious. What? Um, I have the caterer on the phone. And? Like, your credit card didn't go through. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Sweetie, I cannot deal with that right now. Make it work. (sighs) Richard, how much are we talking about? A lot. How much? A lot. What's left? Um... Nothing. Um, I have the caterer on the phone, and, like, she really needs to talk to you. What should I tell her? God damn it. Why didn't you do something? He's your husband. I did what you asked. I didn't want to... you are my accountant. You have had dinner in my home. I bought a $5,000 table for your wife's Blossom Buddy charity benefit. My God! I think we even got drunk once and made love in the men's room at Nats. Uh...
uh, I know the timing is awful, but Undine, we're going to have to consider bankruptcy. It's the only way to protect yourself. There isn't a stigma anymore. No, 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 no. I don't want to talk about bankruptcy. Anna, I've spent the last 14 years building this company. That implies that somehow I failed. And let me tell you something, Mr. Harvard MBA. My ancestors came shackled in wooden ships, crossed the Atlantic with nothing but their memories. But I'll spare you my deprivation narrative. (laughs) Let's just say their journey brought me here. Their pain, their struggle established me behind this fine, expensive teak desk. It is teak. A rare, strong, endangered wood. (laughs) You want me to declare bankruptcy because that Argentine idiot has run off with my money? Yes. I will do what it takes. I will beg and borrow, but goddammit, I'm not giving up my business. This is what I have. It's what I am. I will meet this month's bills and take it from there. It's not that simple. All right, then, Richard, make it simple. You're broke, Undine. You are one month Daddy, away don't from... don't say it. Excuse me, but there's... Why a... am I just finding this out now? Because you don't return phone calls and you don't listen to your messages on your answering machine. The truth is, Undine, you have not heard anything anyone else has said in years. Um... What? 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 There's a man who's been waiting. Um, there is one other thing. More? Undine. Who are you? This is Agent Duva from the Federal Bureau of Investigations. He'd like, uh... To ask you a few questions. I'm sorry, Undine, but this is about a little more than a spring shopping spree. Undine Barnes' call ask? Uh, yes. Yes. Hmm. Fraud. What? Fraud! Perhaps you're familiar with the term identity fraud? We've been investigating your husband's activity for quite some time. I know this isn't easy for you. (laughs) It never is. We will find him. I promise. But I beg my pardon for saying there's one thing that troubles us about this matter. Uh, Mrs... Gadgets. We've thoroughly searched our files, but our investigation can find no record of your existence prior to 14 years ago. <laughs> Undine Barnes, Gadgets. You seem to have materialized from the ether. <laughs> We're not quite sure who you are. Give me a moment. <laughs> Please. That means step outside. Um, no, of course. Of course. Actually, this is where the story will begin. It is mid-thought, I know, but it is the beginning. In the next 20 seconds, I will experience a pain in my chest so severe that I've given it a short, simple, ugly name. Edna. (laughs) Forgive me, I am Andine Barnes, yes, yes. I left home at 13. I was a bright child. I won a competitive scholarship through a better chance program to an elite boarding school in New England. I subsequently acquired a taste for things my provincial Brooklyn upbringing could no longer provide. I went to Dartmouth College, met and mingled with people in a constructive way, built a list of friends that would prove valuable years down the line. And my family... 
they tragically perished in a fire. At least that's what was reported in Black Enterprise magazine. It was a misprint. But I nevertheless embraced it as a truth. Fourteen years ago, I opened my own very fierce boutique PR firm, catering to the vanity and the confusion of the African-American nouveau riche. (laughs) And all seemed complete when I met my husband, Hervé, at a much too fabulous New Year's Eve party at a client's penthouse. Eleven months later, we married. Two years later, he had a green card. Why? Hervé permitted me to travel in circles I had only read about in Vanity Fair. Corfu, Milano, Barcelona. (laughs) Rio. He gave me flair and cachet. (laughs) What can I tell you? Hervé was dashing. Lifted from some black and white film retrospective. And he was a romantic. Uh, But before I introduce you to Hervé, I will now introduce you to Edna. (laughs) (laughs) Steffi! Steffi! So... Dr. Kader, am I dying? (laughs) No. What do you mean, no? I thought you'd be relieved. I consider that good news. (laughs) Dr. Kader, a heart attack at 39 is never good news. Well, you haven't had a heart attack. Oh. In that case, you won't mind if I smoke? Yes, actually I do. You should stop. Why? So I can live to a ripe old age? Like some demure grandmother and face dementia, incontinence, a sagging ass? No, thank you. Doctor, I decided years ago never to view myself as a victim. I am 39 years old. The world is crumbling and early death seems merciful. My God, that is tragic. (laughs) No, tragic as a crack-addicted woman breastfeeding her child. (laughs) I am far from tragic, thank you. Can I stand up? No. Have you recently experienced any undue stress in your life? Oh, like a, like if my husband left me suddenly, embezzling all my money, leaving me on the brink of financial and social ruin? <laughs> You're very funny. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm talking about pressure at the job, an upcoming deadline, an important speech. Work is work. How much coffee have you had today? Oh, I don't know. Three, maybe four cups. I don't know. Is it important? Well, yes. I believe you've suffered a severe anxiety attack. It is not uncommon. Anxiety? Me? Oh, no. (laughs) I don't think so. And why not? Because anxiety happens to weepy people on television news magazines. Well, all of your tests came back normal. But there is one other thing, Miss Cadges. I ran some routine tests, and congratulations, you're pregnant. Pregnant. One moment, doctor. I met Hervé three years ago at a dinner party. 
He was standing next to the crudité, dipping broccoli spears into the dip. And he did it with such flair that I found myself hovering around the hors d'oeuvres table for most of the evening. I watched dazzled as he sucked the dill dip off the vegetable with his full lips. Up until then, I'd been dating a rapper in the twilight of his career. Killers, and this paranoia was making the relationship tiresome. Oh, we drive through Bushwick, Brooklyn in his SUV, tunes pumping, yearning for ghetto authenticity. <laughs> But his six-figure income isolated him from the folks. Nevertheless, he was becoming more ghetto by the moment. Actually, uh, too ghetto for the ghetto. <laughs> Hervé looked over at me. I was five, I was 12, I was 17, I was 28. I explored the full range of my sexual awakening in that moment. And as he approached, I could not move my feet. And I actually felt something I had read a million times in romance novels. A tingle in my loins. Hello. Hello, did you enjoy the dip? <clears throat> I could think of nothing cleverer to say, so I averted my gaze. I glanced over at my boyfriend with the hostess and a Philly blunt between his fingers. Well, I channeled all the charm of the universe. Excuse me, sir. It is almost midnight and I see that you are alone. Yes, it appears so. Have you seen the view from the balcony? It is spectacular. Yes, I have seen the view, and it is spectacular. Could I interest you in a dance? What is this music? You have never heard of Andres Segovia? No. Por qué? He is a master of classical guitar from España, the best, of course. He found a way to isolate emotion with his fingers. What he can do with a series of chords is remarkable. I fell in love with his music in Madrid. I was curating an exhibition of important artists in España. I had the good fortune of dining in a cafe with the brilliant artist Ernesto Pérez. The music began. The guitar... A recording of Segovia's music, the place fell silent. We listened intently, for with a mere guitar, he created an orchestra. Indeed, from those most basic chords, he wove something so marvelously complicated that it made us ashamed of our own limitations. In that small cafe, Segovia opened up possibility. <laughs> Querida, I can't believe you don't know his music. And with a handful of words, I had fallen in love. Andine Barnes Gaia's office, hold please. Uh, go on in, Allison. She's expecting you. 
Dean, did you tell him? Does he know? No. What are you going to do? Exercise my constitutional right. Mm. He doesn't deserve to be a father. Or a husband. Bastard! God, why did I have to go and get pregnant? Mm. Don't speak to me about fertility. Look at me. I'm on hormone cocktails, and it is hideous. But you don't want a child, Allison. Of course I don't. But everyone else is doing it, and you know Daryl, he won't be left behind. Here, I brought you the Daily News, page four. I thought you might... I have it. Did you see the photo that they used? No kidding. Terrible. You're not that heavy, darling. Fraud. Can you believe that Argentine testicle was breaking the law on my nickel? Mm. Don't talk to me about it. I've been there with Daryl and the whole brokerage house scandal. Page two, three days running. I don't want to relive those years. Mm. I had to scratch and claw my way back onto party lists. And even now, around Christmas, the mailboxes are nearly as full. There is nothing less forgiving than bougie Negroes. Who are you telling? My phone has stopped ringing. I even called the phone company to see if it had been disconnected. I've become some sort of social pariah. People act as if the mere presence of my voice on an answering machine is enough to sully their reputations. I've called everyone in my Rolodex. Diane Madison, Ken Brooks, Sylvia Foster McKay. Sylvia? Oh, yes. Most people never got back to me. And those that did seem frightened by my predicament. Jesus Christ, you're the only friend who's bothered to visit. Is that so? (laughs) No one seems troubled by the actual charges against me. Oh no, the crime isn't being a criminal. It's it's being broke. (gasps) Apparently, it's against the law to be a poor black woman in New York City. You're broke? Darling, you didn't tell me that. Yes. They auctioned off my furniture. It was like a feeding frenzy. People I knew bidding on my possessions, waving little flags and purchasing bits and pieces of my life for a bargain. Vultures. At some point I thought they were going to actually put me up on the block, sell me to the highest bidder. And I thought in a flash, thank God I got my teeth done last year. Yes. Look at them teeth. She got a fine set of teeth, y'all. How naive, foolish of me to assume that I was worthy of some comfort, some good fortune. They give you a taste, how you like it, and then they promptly take it away. I'm sorry, we've reached our quota of Negroes in the privileged class. Unfortunately, we're bumping you down to working class. Working. I'm not even working. I believe I'm officially a member of the underclass. I am penniless, Allison. I have returned to my original Negro state. Karmic retribution for feeling a bit too pleased with my life. Enough. This talk is unsettling me. I need a glass of wine. I'm sorry, Allison. Listen, I didn't mean to burden you with all of this. And oh, I'm really glad you came. This is it. A lifetime of hard work. And here I am on the verge of becoming a statistic. And I don't want to raise a child by myself. Not like this. I took vows two 
years, uh, 10 months, 12 days. <gasps> you could always marry that client of yours, the rapper. What's his name? Mordo. <laughs> yes, and become a gangster bitch. <laughs> a chicken head. No, thank you. The money wouldn't last. And really, is there anything more pathetic than an aging broke b-boy who ain't got no rap left? Then what are you going to do? I don't know. Don't ask me. Maybe I'll go to church or give alms or I'll climb a mountain. Maybe I'll tend to some limbless African children in the middle of a malaria zone. <laughs> <laughs> That fabulous new walk. Oh, do you like it? Yes, I love it. Good. I've been trying it out. I'm in my Eartha Kit phase. I'm making bold social choices. You don't think it's too much. Of course it is. But you do your thing, girl. Allison, known in Harlem as Tamika Joe Green. She aspired to the black bourgeoisie after a family trip to New Rochelle. She managed to transcend her modest childhood in the Langston Hughes public houses. Oh, yes, a member of 100 black women. Owns a house on Martha's Vineyard, an apartment on the Upper East Side. Low 70s. <laughs> but then her husband appeared naked in a gay porn magazine. Christian stripped her of her social status. Oh, but I admire her tenacity. It is an unrelenting struggle to regain social favor. But God bless her, she's on hormones and on the verge of a reemergence. I'm your best friend. Whatever you need, I'm here. Allison, I have to move out of my apartment. May I stay with you? Oh, no, girl! to have you, but, you know, but, um, we're in the process of renovating. Oh, it's absolutely crazy. Listen, there's our new place on the vineyard. You're welcome. Thank you, but I can't leave New York. At least not until the investigation is complete. Oh, my goodness, look at the time. Do you have to leave so soon? Oh, yes, yes, I'm having lunch with Sylvia. Sylvia? Yes. Yes, but we'll have dinner soon. Soon. Promise. Promise. <laughs> Undine, you understand. More of Fabulation or the Re-Education of Undine starring Charlene Woodard and Daniel Breaker in a moment. If you've missed anything so far, you can listen online at latw.org or check this station's website. And send us your comments and suggestions. Our email address is radio at latw.org. This is L.A. Theatre Works. 
Support for this program is provided by the National Endowment for the Arts, a public agency dedicated to supporting excellence in the arts, because a great nation deserves great art. More information is available at nea.gov. L.A. Theatre Works shows are performed and recorded in front of a live audience for later broadcast on your public radio station as part of our Los Angeles in-performance season. More information about our current season and how you could become a part of our live broadcast recording is at L.A. Theatre Works box office at latw.org. Major funding for L.A. Theatre Works live performance season is provided by the Peter Glenville Foundation. L.A. Theatre Works presents a classic trilogy of autobiographical solo works by actor and playwright Charlene Woodard. In Pretty Fire, Woodard tells the moving tale of her family through three generations of love, struggle, and triumph. There was this man down in Dixie that my mother hated. I'm not used to this anymore, I tell you. Woody, I just can't stand Jim Crow. Woodard shares her memories of growing up black in the 1960s and 70s in Neat. I went from John F. Kennedy to Huey P. Newton, and that's when I went from a flip to a fro. The final play, In Real Life, charts Woodard's growth from starving actor to a Tony nominee. You don't look like yourself out there. Oh, Daddy, that's because it wasn't me. That was my lady. Well, that lady is crazy. (laughs) The entire trilogy is available at our website, latw.org. This is L.A. Theatre Works. Now, L.A. Theatre Works continues with Fabulation or the Re-Education of Undine by Lynn Nottage. The spirits are speaking. The door to all roads is open. Richard, my accountant, recommended that I see a Yorba priest. It was his parting advice on coping with my predicament. Uh, They were roommates at Harvard Business School, so I thought, why not? Ah, it seems you've angered Legba, the keeper of the gate. He opens the door to the spiritual world. He's one of the trickiest and most cunning orishas. Okay. And what does that mean? He's quite furious from what I see here. Why on earth is Alegba angry with me? What have I ever done to the African spirits? Oh. What? It's what I thought. What do you see? You have a bit of work to do in order to placate Alegba. Work? Like what? He says it's been a long time since you've been home. And as such, you must give him $1,000 and a bottle of Mount Gay premium rum. What? Oh, you've got to be kidding. That's Oh, no. He's one of the most unpredictable and demanding orishas. It's a symbolic offering, an appeasement. But Will he accept a heartfelt apology? I mean, really, what is Alegba going to do with a thousand dollars? I don't ask, I interpret. <laughs> but I've experienced his wrath, and believe me, if I were you, I'd pay the spirit. Will he take a check? Uh, no, cash only. <laughs> Uh, kneel and repeat after me. Ilegba, open this door. I am taking no chances. Ashe. I lay my last thousand dollars on the altar of an angry African spirit. I light a candle, smoke a mecanudo. <laughs> and on the advice of a spirit, I reluctantly return to my last known address in Brooklyn. 
Mommy, Daddy, can I stay here until I get back on my feet? Let me get this straight. You want to stay here? Yes. I suppose we got the room. <clears throat> ha, well, it's all right for us to speak. Uh, uh, Flo, say something to your sister. So? Yes. You bugged out. Oh, shh. Your sister's come home for a little rest and relaxation. Oh, what the f club met was overbooked? Oh, shh, shh. You ain't been here for years and you just decided to stop in for a little R&R? &R. Forgive my skepticism and tone of disbelief. I'm going to laugh real hard and long for a moment. <laughs> At least I left, Flo. Are you still working on that epic poem about Bruh Rabbit? It is the exploration of the African-American's journey. I'm exploring the role of trickster in American mythology. I'm using Br'er Rabbit classic trickster as a means to express the dilemma faced by cultural stereotyping and the role it plays in the oppression on one hand and the liberation of the neo-Afric, to coin a phrase, individual on the other. We had once rejected and embraced this. Flo was never the same after his tour of Desert Storm. <laughs> It's a cliche, but something did happen to him in that desert. <laughs> Military school. A year at West Point. The Green Beret. And finally, a security guard at Walgreens. He could never reconcile his love of the uniform with his quest for personal freedom. Hence, the poem. It is this very conundrum that intrigues and confounds. We love but despise him. We admire yet rebuke. We embrace it, we push away. This glorious duality enlivens and imprisons him. Cause ain't he only hunting for a way out of no way? Mm, as it's been said. And so you know the poem is not about Br'er Rabbit. Huh. He is merely a means to convey a truth. Yes, speak, son. It is open-ended, a work in progress, a continuous journey. Oh, what time is it? They just got in the new Epa lady and all the little mother thieves will be in tonight. I got a roll in ten. So, how long are you going to be with us? <laughs> I don't know. Well, I hope you don't mind sharing the bed with Grandma. I'll turn the mattress before you go to sleep. That's okay. I'll manage. My God, look at you. No, don't look at me. Stop looking at me. Oh, for God's sake, will you all stop looking at me now? What? Hey, you've been quiet, Daddy. How have you been? Well, sometime I is and sometime I ain't. My family, the fire victims. Mother and father, good, hard-working people. They took the police exam six times back in the 70s before they realized that the city was never going to let them pass. So they settled into life as security guards at Long Island University, hence the uniforms. But it's a safe home. Relief! Oh, look at that! What are you working on, Mom? Word search. Just finished my third book this week. Mm. So, where's the baby daddy? What do you got to say about all this? Isn't it time for your jackass pill? Girl? <laughs> Will you two please stop it? Now, we're very happy to have you home, Sharona. You stay as long as you like. 
Stay as long as you like. There is plenty of room. Mom, hmm. it's Undine. Well, I forgot. Undine. You're going to have to be patient. Oh, uh, well, I ain't calling her no Undine. Now, if it was Akua or Nzinga, a proud African queen, I'd be down with it. But you're the only sister I know has got to change her beautiful black name to a European brand. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you weren't exactly born with the name Flo. So shut up. What's wrong with Grandma? Oh, she's just a little tired. Sometimes she nods off. The diabetes is taking its toll. Are you all right, Grandma? Oh, she's fine. Just let her be. Excuse me. I'm feeling a little nauseous. If you go into the bathroom, take Grandma with you. Sharona? <laughs> I don't feel so. Been hoping you'd come home. I think about you a lot. <laughs> Nobody else seems particularly happy to have me back. Oh, don't let them fool you. You a prize heifer. <laughs> and sweet pea, you don't know how these folks brag on you. I hope you don't mind that I'm sharing your room. Bet it ain't as beautiful as your apartment, but it got a lovely view of the next building. I've counted the number of bricks. 63,010. What happened, Sharona? It went away. Things don't just go away. They get taken away, they get driven away, they get thrown away. All of the above. June 17th. It was an unseasonably cold day. You walked out that door wearing a dark green linen suit, orange silk shirt, and never walked back through until now. Well, I had to. Mom opened the door. She pushed me towards it, and I just stepped on through. It was a gentle nudge, not a push. You didn't expect me to come back. A visit, yes. But, but you've been getting my Christmas cards. Your Christmas cards are always lovely. If they didn't come every year, I'd think you fell off the earth. Well, well I've been very busy, Grandma. If you knew... A year I can forgive, but it's been nearly 14. 14? My God. 14 years. I really wasn't aware that that much time had passed. Honestly, time just passed. It did. Are you ashamed of us? No. But you ain't telling the truth. <laughs> what do you want to hear, Grandma? I was given the opportunity to get the hell out of here. And like anybody, I took it. Isn't that what we all wanted? I just did it. Then why would you come home? I don't know what to say. Other than a month ago, I, I sat in my doctor's office, and she told me I wasn't dying. And I was actually disappointed. I'm pregnant, Grandma. And I'm afraid. I'm, I'm not a good enough person to be a parent. So please, Grandma, I just want to sit here for a minute in silence and not have to freak out about my life. Your hands are shaking. What's, what's wrong? Bad habits. Are you all right, Grandma? Yes. 
Nope. Nope. Would you hand me that bag? I need my medicine. What is this? What it look like? Is this stuff flows? Oh, no. Don't tell me he's using heroin. Why would you think that? Flo is trouble, but he's a good man. Well, this belongs to somebody. I be that somebody. <laughs> you. Help me roll up my sleeve. My God. Grandma, how long have you been shooting heroin? Mm-hmm. Since your grandfather died, baby girl. D- does mommy know? If she do, she ain't said nothing. I don't believe this. Pass me my works. This is crazy. Change be what it will. I'd say it was crazy too if it wasn't so necessary. But, but Grandma, you, you nearly beat me down when you caught me smoking herb with Omar Padillo. Well, some things have happened since then. I got good and old for one. They think I'm diabetic. <laughs> Your idiot brother even gives me the injections. My handshake's so bad these days. I'm not going to watch you do this. I wish you wouldn't. Sweet pea. I thought I'd get to this point and be filled with so much wisdom that I'd know just how to control the pain that's trailed me through life. The truth would be revealed and some great doorway would open. And God's light would encircle me and lift me out of the ordinariness of my life. One would think you'd be closer to God at my age, but I find myself curiously further away. How can you say that? You came up here with nothing. You got your high school diploma. You worked two jobs. You, you raised five beautiful children. Yes, Lord. But what if I got to look forward to each morning? The view of that brick building across the way and a perpetually gray life. Stop it. For a few dollars, I get to leave this drab apartment. I'm going to die one way or the other soon enough. I'm old. I can't do it no more, Sharona. I ain't happy. By the time I was your age, I already had five children. I'd done for others so long. Well, now it's time to do for myself. Sharona, I thought you might like some hot chocolate. Did you know that Grandma is shooting heroin? You always had an active imagination. (laughs) And this concludes our section entitled Denial and Other Opiates. She'll be all right. It's the sugar. Grandma. Grandma. Grandma? Yes, baby. Will you do me a favor? Yes, yes, of course. I need you to go out and... 
Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of Mutiny Radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. Mutiny Radio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> I'm Michael Spiegelman. And I am Carl, not Spiegelman. Join us every Sunday, 2 to 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on MutinyRadio.fm for... Let's watch a full-length movie on... YouTube. We watch the best movies that... uh, Aren't they good? Well, they're chosen by Uh, Here's his theme song again. Bye. Okay, bye. Watch a full-length movie. Looking for a personal injury lawyer in San Francisco, look no further than Francis J. Shaheda. Mr. Shaheda did an amazing job with my case. First, he informed the courts about my case that had not been scheduled or submitted yet, despite the language on the citation. I was so confused and afraid of the legal system, but he did it all for me. He communicated promptly via email with any of my questions. I was afraid of an enormous fine for a small infraction, as well as a criminal offense on my record, but he spoke to the DA to have my case removed from criminal court and put into the community court system. I am so overwhelmingly happy with the results he generated and would recommend him to anyone with legal issues. This is a personal first-person narrative because Francis J. Shaheda helped me personally, helped Mutiny Radio go to him for personal injury issues. You can email him at www.personalinjuryattorney.com fjs.com again the law office of francis j shaheda in san francisco awesome and underground space for an event? Look no further than MutinyRadio.fm. Our 30-seat flexible space can accommodate your acoustic band, birthday party, comedy show, dance party, karaoke super fun, theater event, fundraiser. If you think it, we can do it. You run the door in promotion, we run the sound, space, and podcast. Rentals available Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10 at Mutiny Radio FM's performance space at 2781 21st Street in the Deep Mission at 21st in Florida. Contact Pam at pamsidai at hotmail.com for more options. Welcome to the all new, brand new, awesome, happy hour. With your new host, Trina Robert. 